Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Our guest speaker. Um, I've been in contact with Stephen over the past couple years, but it was until last summer, kind of during the height of COVID, he came here with his family, and uh, we were blessed to have him lead and preach. Um, Stephen is from Northern Ireland, and you'll figure that out very quickly when he begins to speak. He is also a Presbyterian, but we won't hold that against him being in a Baptist church. We have a kindred spirit among our theology. He is also the director of Christian Witness to Israel North America, and so he will tell you more about his ministry. Um, he did a lot of that during the, the, the Sunday school time. He does have a table out there with resources, but he's come to minister the word to us. So would you all welcome Stephen Atkinson this morning. to turn on at the early hour, so glad to get that job done. First of all, a huge thank you. Thank you, Sean, for inviting me back. Thank you, church, for having me, for having this uh, strange northern, northern Irishman in your pulpit and, uh, and a Presbyterian at that. Redeeming uh, characteristics, my two boys are both uh, Southern Baptists, okay? Is that both studied at uh, Louisville, both actually, one has literally just completed PhD, and the other one is, uh, he beat his brother, he, he beat his older brother to the PhD. So, yeah, I have a lot of uh, strong Baptist friends, colleagues. Um, Tony Mattia, you know as well, Tony Mattia from Kansas is on my board. Um, and you, you, you did mention Spurgeon, uh, so let me, let me wave Spurgeon at you then. So, on our table, you can uh, pick up one of Spurgeon's sermons, which was preached for this mission organization uh, way back in the 1800s. And indeed, I, it came to mind as we were singing, these are the days of Elijah, these are the days of Ezekiel. Well, he preaches, or the sermon is on the dry bones, the valley of dry bones. Um, and indeed, uh, with regard to Jewish mission, the dry bones are coming to life. Um, I want to take just Maybe a few minutes as we begin, just while a number of you weren't in the earlier time, so uh, let me just uh, very briefly talk for you know, five minutes or so just on what we do. Christian Witness to Israel is an interdenominational ministry to the Jewish people. It's a gospel ministry. We are focused primarily on bringing the gospel to our Jewish friends. We have staff, um, personnel, all around the globe, though I moved over here from Northern Ireland about nine years ago uh, to set up base here. But um, while I gave the presentation, it was largely on our longing and our desire for Jewish mission in the USA and the need for it, the, the biblical need for it, the historical need for it, um, and indeed, you know, the, the present context, as I repeatedly say, where are the Jewish people in the United States? And uh, while I mentioned some degree uh, in passing our work in other parts of the world, I want to take just a little moment 
to even uh, draw our attention to that. Um, so please do take our literature. This is our international magazine, and you can tell, you can hear uh, of uh, New Life for Branya in Ukraine. So we have, we have staff in Ukraine. We are in Paris, uh, where the, the third largest Jewish community in the world past Israel and America, the next one is France. And so in Paris, there are a quarter of a million Jewish people, and uh, we are on the streets of Paris. I was Zooming with one of my colleagues just last week, the, the Paris colleague, and he was telling us of how he had just given out 60 New Testaments in Hebrew, 60 Hebrew New Testaments to the Jewish community in Paris. Pray for the New Testament as it goes forth in Hebrew to uh, the Jewish community. Uh, we are also in Israel. I'm going to take a, a moment or two to focus on Israel uh, as well because of recent events. Uh, we're also in Amsterdam. We're in London, 200,000 Jewish people in London. Uh, we're in Glasgow, historically. Uh, we're in Scotland. That's where uh, a lot of the burden began for our mission. So again, you can pick up uh, some of the literature of the old Scottish Presbyterians, such as uh, Robert Murray McShane. And uh, I did also mention the Dutch connection, because the point that I try to make repeatedly is theology drives missiology. Theology drives missiology. If you get your theology right, your missiology will be okay. It'll be good, I trust. You get your theology wrong, and your missiology will be all over the map. And it seems to me that there is a lot of all-over-the-map theology on Israel. And it is important for us to be focused on the gospel and not get distracted in so many other things. I mentioned even like the 1600s and the theology of the Dutch who had a love for the Jewish people uh, way back then. So uh, please do avail yourself of all the literature uh, that is there. Uh, if I can, again, just for a moment or two, talk about Israel. Um, I, this is literally hot off the press. I have only one copy. I'm sorry. Uh, you're very welcome to glance at it and maybe take some details and look at it online yourself. But this is from my colleague David Zadok uh, in the land of Israel. David, uh, quick story, David came to faith under the navigators. He's Israeli. He was uh, sent over to the U.S. to study uh, way back in the, the, the late 70s, early 80s. He came to faith. Uh, he went back to his homeland, served in the Israeli army. He's a major in the Israeli army but then felt a call to pastor, and he's now the pastor of Grace and Truth Reformed Baptist Church just south of Tel Aviv. Uh, David is a dear brother, dear friend, doing a tremendous work in the land, uh, also involved with Paul Washer, uh, John MacArthur, and Ligonier Ministry, again, just to name, to give a bit of name-dropping of the connections that our work in Israel has. And uh, they are doing translation work also, of uh, a lot of excellent Reformed literature, putting it into modern Hebrew for the first time ever. Um, Spurgeon's checkbook at the Bank of Faith has been translated and given to every Jewish believer, every, every Messianic Jewish believer in the, Jew in the Israeli army. They got a free copy of Spurgeon from uh, our work of Hageffen Publishing. Um, and so, I'm just thrilled to uh, to ask you to pray for the work in Israel. 
it's been challenging. I'll, I'll read one paragraph from the newsletter, the first paragraph, and then, then I'll get into the sermon. But this is June 2021, so it's right off the press. We certainly live in unprecedented times. COVID-19 is still creating havoc in so many countries globally. And here in Israel, we just came out of war in Gaza. And in the midst of it all, the cable car accident in Italy took the lives of 14 people, among them five Israelis. Only the Lord knows what tomorrow will bring. And yet we are safe in the arms of the mighty God. During the 11 days of the war in Gaza, as more than 4,300 rockets were hot over Israel, the level of anxiety was high. During the COVID-19 outbreak and shutdowns, the media would daily report the number of new cases, the number of patients in critical condition on breathing machines, and the number of deaths. During the war, the media was busy reporting day and night at the times in which, and, and which areas would receive sirens, where the rockets have fallen and the number of injured. It's hard to determine which of these two periods of time have been most stressful. Rockets were close uh, to even some of his church members um, because they're in a suburb of Tel Aviv. He also told me again just in the Zoom call last week that some of his congregation were flying the F-16s that were pressing the button, and some of his congregation worked for the Iron Dome. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jewish, Israelis, believers, and they're in the midst of uh, those trials which we cannot even begin to imagine. Now, I know I lived in, in Northern Ireland most of my life, and we had terrorism, so I, I know a little bit of what terrorism is like, but certainly not what the Israelis have faced from terrorism. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for our staff there. We have one worker who works in a rehab center with drug addicts. We have another worker who works with Holocaust survivors. The gospel is going forth to the Jewish people, and the dry bones are coming to life. In 1948, there were 12 Jewish believers in Jesus in the land of Israel. In 1948, there are 30,000 today. 30,000 of your brothers and sisters in Christ, Jewish Israelis, who are believing in Jesus. God is building His church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Having said that, the 21st century is like the first century. 30,000, a remnant of Jewish believers amid 7, 8 million in the land of Israel of Jewish non-believers. So, this is our mission to bring the gospel back to the Jewish people. Turn with me in your Scriptures to Matthew 28, and uh, time is already fast gone, but uh, I'll try to be as brief as I can in bringing forth four points from what I have called the ordinary extraordinary commission. Sometimes we use this passage and we think of the Great Commission. We love to hear about it as the Great Commission. I've, maybe it's just me. I'm Irish. I'm calling it the ordinary, extraordinary commission. We'll read from verse 16, but I want to focus particularly 18 to 20. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I have four points that I want to bring uh, on this subject. I don't know if they're going to come up on screen or you have them maybe in your newsletter, but I'll give them to you right now. What I find here is the ordinary audience, we have extraordinary authority, we have ordinary activity, and we have extraordinary assistance, okay? I'll give you those four again, and then we'll work through. We have an ordinary audience. We have extraordinary authority. We have ordinary activity. And we have extraordinary assistance. Who is the audience? The ordinary audience. Well, at verse 18, it says, them. Jesus came and said to them. Who is the them of verse 18? It is the 11 of verse 16. So, it's these 11 disciples. It's these 11 who had met the risen Christ. It includes Thomas, who we often call Doubting Thomas, but he's not doubting anymore. No longer Doubting Thomas. Someone called him Declaring Thomas. I, I like that title for him. It involves that old flip-flopping fisherman, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know. You know my heart. Peter, commissioned, commissioned to go forth. All the disciples, were these super special people? Were these super special guys? Were these uh, uh, the 11? Uh, were they super apostles? No, they were kind of ordinary. They were a, a pretty ragtag group of Jewish followers of Jesus. But Jesus has taken them and commissioned them and indeed revealed Himself to them as resurrected with nail prints. So that kind of emboldens a little bit. But nonetheless, even here we read, they worshiped Him and some doubted. What? I kind of think of that in the sense of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. They're, they're not really doubting in the sense of, I don't know if this is right or not. I believe, but, but help my unbelief. And that's, that's encouraging to us, is it not? These were ordinary, ordinary audience. And they're going to take on the world. And as we mentioned even in our early study, we are here because of them. We are here sitting in Sterling, Colorado, worshiping Jesus because a group of ordinary Jewish Jesus freaks decided to take on the world. Eleven. They became hundreds by Acts chapter 1. They became thousands by Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> and then tens of thousands who would go across land and tell the goyim, the unclean nations, about Jesus. And we are sitting here, the fruit of their commission. Let's remember also that this is not uh, First Baptist Jerusalem that we're talking about here. 
this is first remnant Israel reformed. <laughs> and they met in the synagogue on probably for decades indeed, perhaps. They were, they were a sect within Judaism. They were a sect within the Jewish community. They were simply weird believers in a resurrected Messiah, a maverick rabbi called Yeshua. They were ordinary, if a little weird. And I think that's encouraging because I'm Scots-Irish. I'm a little weird. <laughs> you, I'm going to say, maybe a little bit weird. <laughs> but your commission is an ordinary one. And we'll see that also in a moment in terms of what we are called upon to do in terms of the activity. But I, I want to I kind of slip a little bit into both under this heading because as I take this text and I read it, I see that some preachers make the cardinal error. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. They make the cardinal error that the imperative is go. So mission is all about going. In the Greek, going is not the command. It is actually literally as you go, or even having gone. There is an ordinariness to what is happening here. This ordinary audience, we're being told, as you, as you, as you, then I'm going to tell you what to do. But the going is not the, the mission. The going is not the activity. And I, I come from Northern Ireland, as I've said repeatedly, and I don't come from Ireland, please get it right, because if I come from Ireland, that's a whole different country. Wars have been fought over less. So I'm from Northern Ireland, which is a whole different country and part of the United Kingdom. But what I notice is I come over here and I, I, I see you guys love to do mission trips. Oh, let's go on a mission trip. Let's go on a mission trip. I want to let us into a secret that we don't need to go on a mission trip to do Jewish mission. You might just need to go to Denver. <laughs> 100,000 Jewish people in Denver, I learned, in the Sunday school hour. 660,000 Jewish people in South Florida, where I was recently. 50,000 in Dallas, I'm going there midweek. 200,000 in Chicago, 150,000 in Atlanta, 2 million in New York City. You name it, we could cross all the different... Uh, cities, and we will find a Jewish community there. We don't need to go on a trip. We don't need to go. It, it, it's, it's as you go. It's the as you go of ordinary life, of ordinary people in their ordinary day-to-day -day existence. Weirdness might help as well, though. <laughs> the Jewish believers, as they went, they brought the gospel to us Gentiles. I, I told the story just in the Sunday school hour. I'm going to repeat it here just for the sake of others. But I was in South Florida just recently, about a month ago, preaching in a, a Presbyterian church there. And while I was there, I got the opportunity with my colleague Mitch from Pittsburgh. Mitch, as some of you uh, have known and, and as I made you aware, he is a Jewish believer. Mitch is from Brooklyn. Uh, he knows how to say coffee the way you're supposed to say coffee. He's a typical Jewish guy. So he's uh, 
Jewish believer from Brooklyn. He now lives in Pittsburgh, but we also send him to South Florida because his dad lives in South Florida. He gets to meet his dad, and he gets to do street evangelism and make some church connections as well. But we were down recently, about a month ago, both of us together, um, and I got to meet with his dad, 96-year-old Jewish atheist. And we were going out to dinner one night, and the dad said, I'll pay. And uh, I immediately said, no, you're not paying. And I said, I'm paying. And then I gave him the reason why. And the reason why was simply, I know you don't believe this, Mr. Tepper, but salvation is of the Jews. I read that in my Bible. And the greatest change in my life and the greatest impact upon my life, the life of my children and the life of my grandchildren, is Jesus. And my little ones, my little, little ones, are hearing about a Jewish Messiah because your guys brought the message to the Goyim nations. So I'm paying. It's my thank you. And the sad reality is that he doesn't know his Messiah and many, many, many others in South Florida and indeed around the U.S. and around the world don't know the Jewish Messiah Jesus. There's an ordinariness to it, ordinary audience, ordinary people, ordinary things. Secondly, there's an extraordinary authority, an extraordinary authority. You see that in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, we might doubt ourselves. Maybe they were doubting themselves. We might doubt ourselves and our abilities to, to, to do mission. We might doubt our abilities to say the right words, and again, we try to help, and we were talking about some of those things in the Sunday school hour and the growth hour, and we might doubt ourselves, but never doubt the authority that you speak in. You might stumble and bumble over your words with anyone. Never doubt the authority. Behind your ordinary going, you have the authority of the resurrected Christ. You have the authority of the one who says everything in heaven and on earth, can we get any more inclusive in that, has been given to me than going, as you go. I prefer as you go to go. You see, whenever these disciples met the risen Christ. They were never the same. When you meet the risen Christ, you are never the same. May it be today. You might still have a character that is a little shy. You might be a little uncertain with your, your words and what to say and what to do, but never doubt the authority behind your ordinary gospel conversations. The word that Jesus uses here is, is exousia. It is authoritative power. Law enforcement have power, not just to uphold, but to enforce. The judge will have authority to sentence and to, to make rule. Jesus is saying He has the authority, and through us that authority comes to speak to dead sinners and bring them to life. We have the authority through our stumbling words that someone might rise from the dead spiritually. 
He has the authority to set the prisoner free. And he does this extraordinary work as you do your ordinary going. He spoke worlds into being. He holds the stars in his hands. Ours is an extraordinary authority to speak in his name. He calls us ambassadors. Paul says in, in, in um, I've forgotten the text, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, is it? We are ambassadors for Christ. What a title it is to be an ambassador. Ever thought how dangerous the Lord's Prayer is when you pray it? You know, we face all kinds of challenges, challenges even in the past year, and divisions within church, divisions within our society, different views on the role of government, some rulings we've had to live with. God's kingdom is primary, and God is king. We live in a world where our leaders and even those in authority despise the rule of God and the word of God and the order of God on human sexuality, on, on all aspects of life. They despise it. It's nothing new. Nations are in uproar and are a rage, Psalm 2. But we have the authority to boldly come to the throne of grace. Let us come boldly and pray, Lord, Your kingdom, I want it. Your will, it's a mess done here, Lord, but Your will, I want it on earth as it is in heaven. That, that's dangerous praying. The Scottish reformer, John Knox, he prayed, Give me Scotland ere I die. And it was said that bloody Queen Mary was more frightened of the prayers of John Knox than any army. She didn't know the God he served, but she kind of knew he had some authority. And certainly John Knox knew the authority that he had. I think when I was with you last, I did share with you that uh, just about 18 months ago, we became citizens. Yay! My fellow Americans. It's, it, was, uh, it was a long process. It, it took pretty much nine years. Yeah. Some people seem to get by with less. Yeah. Not going there. No, don't go there. <sighs> Religious workers visa, green card ultimately opportunity for citizenship. I have a U.S. passport. I'm about to use it in a couple of weeks. I was just sharing with, with Sean that uh, my wife and I were heading to Cancun. We've never been to Cancun. In some ways, I actually, and I'll tell you the reason for this, I don't even really care, but the big thing about this holiday in a couple of weeks' time is my son from Spain, who we haven't seen in over two years, and we haven't seen the little now two-year-old, breaks our heart, but they're able to come to Cancun. Can't come to the U.S., but they can come to Cancun. So we're going to Cancun. I don't care so much about Cancun, but I'm going to see my family. <laughs> I'm thrilled. But I'm going to use my U.S. passport. I think this is the first time I've used my U.S. passport. So I have authority to cross borders. I have authority to come and go legally in this country. I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly. 
we are citizens of heaven. We have extraordinary authority as we go to speak in His name. We come and go on this earth, His earth, in the name of the Maker of heaven and earth. All authority has been given. Ordinary, ordinary audience, ordinary people. Extraordinary authority. Thirdly, ordinary activity. Ordinary activity. Mission work, ministry, gossiping the gospel, speaking a word in season. It it isn't something that we do on a special occasion. It's the ordinary existence of the Christian. It is salting the earth. It is lighting the world. It is having the aroma of Christ about us to light up the world, to tell people ultimate realities. They are sucked into some crazy realities. Some crazy narratives are going around. Well, let me tell you one crazy one. It's about a Jewish Messiah that ended up on a cross and died for the sins of the world. Is that crazy? It sounds crazy, but it's no more crazy than some of the stuff you're believing in. That's our activity. It's our go-to default. Owen Strain um, wrote this. Most evangelicals want a gospel snuggie. I actually had to look up what a snuggie was. You know, I, I didn't even know what it was. But I kind of thought, yeah, I can, no. Most evangelicals want a gospel snuggie. But, he says, God has been in the disruptive business for millennia. I like that. God is in the disruptive business. And let's look at this ordinary activity it is large. Disciple nations. And again, as I understand the Greek text, and I'm not a huge Greek scholar, but as I understand it, it doesn't mean make disciples. It means disciple nations. The imperative is in the verb disciple. Disciple nations baptizing them, nations, in the Trinity and teaching godliness, godlikeness. What was it that the early Jews for Jesus came and taught the nations? Was it God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Was it uh, I have plans to prosper you and give you the American dream? Was it can you, you can have your best life now? No, no. This is what we're being peddled. And yet, what did these Jewish Jesus freaks do in their ordinary activity? They said, repent, Athenians, and believe the gospel of a crucified and risen Jewish Messiah killed by Roman soldiers, but raised and seen and touched and declared as the only Savior of all mankind. Repent and trust in the finished work of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus the Nazarene. That's our ordinary activity. That, that, that's as you ordinarily go. This is your ordinary activity. Discipling nations. Actually bringing the gospel nationally. That's, yes, it's one by one by one, of course. But this is bigger. This is 
make disciples or disciple nations. All nations. This was given to the Jewish folks. First century. All, all the nations, Lord. Yeah. You've got you to gotta start as you go. You've got to bring the gospel to all the nations. And, and baptize, said the Presbyterian. I'm not going there. <laughs> but actually, I'm going there in the sense of this is bigger. This is one by one, of course. But this is bigger because if the, if the discipling nations is paralleled with the baptizing nations, this is the sense of God in heaven, drench us. Drench us, immerse us, pour us, whatever you want to put in there. But drench us with gospel grace. Pour your grace and mercy on all nations. Oh, what a big, big, ordinary activity they were to be involved in. And teach to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach godliness. No holiness, no heaven. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. No man, no preacher, no missionary, no conference speaker, no CEO, no man living his American dream. Teach them to observe godliness. The old Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, who died at age 29, not before he accomplished so much. He was known as the godly young McShane. And he repeatedly said that his people's greatest need was his own personal holiness. Your greatest need, said the preacher, is this man's holiness. And this is your ordinary activity, pursuing and proclaiming holiness. What shall our ordinary activity be? You know, one of the problems we face when dealing with Jewish people is that they don't know what sin is. And it seems really strange because in the Scriptures of the Old Testament, it was sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. They knew what sin was. They had a blood, blood, blood. Today, the rabbis have reinterpreted that, and they really don't know what sin is. And so, but isn't that the world's problem? You know, I remember recently, I think, well, not even some time ago, I think the Church of England in, in the UK defined living in sin as no longer living in sin. And I find that that's strange. Yeah. They redefined sin. We are redefining sin. Hmm. We're dealing it with our Presbyterian assembly coming up at the later end of this month. We're dealing with what, what is sexuality? What is sin? And there's a whole narrative out there as to what sin is. And again, I could go off in political realm, but it seems to me that everything uh, is sin except what God defines as sin. And we need to get back to preaching and teaching the gospel that saves us from sin and leads us into godly life. This is your ordinary activity Disciple nations, baptize nations, teach nations, godly observance. Well, final one, 
the extraordinary assistance. I kind of think when they got to this point, they said, all right, Jesus, we're ready to go. We're, we're, we're already going, in fact. We're ready to do this because we've seen you risen. We've seen you. You've impacted us. You've, you've, you've uh, enabled us to see what we need to be doing as we go. And he said, well, wait, there's, there's just one more. There's more. And behold, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age. We haven't time to deal with it, but two things, the promise and the permanence. The promise and the permanence. I was engaged at 19. I was married at 21, and we were so much more mature in those days. I rejoice you're the first to know this, or at least the first congregation to know this, but I have a new grandbaby as of midnight last night. That's number 11. 39 years married this summer. I have four kids and 11 grandkids, and my quiver is full and my Christmas is expensive. Yes. I made a promise. I made a promise. Our Savior husband has made us a promise, has made us a promise that as you go, as you ordinarily go, gossiping the gospel, the extraordinary authority is with you, but more than that, the assistance is with you, the I am with all the implications of that, is with you. That's a promise. And there's a permanence. There's a permanence to it. I don't know if you feel like uh, the age is creeping up on you. I turned 60 last year. Can you believe it? Yeah. My eldest son, the, the Louisville grad, uh, he had his birthday just a few weeks ago. And uh, he turned 34. And he said, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 34. I'm in my mid-30s. He says, when I was 33, I was in my late 20s. <laughs> but I'm 34. I can't get away with that anymore. It's, it, I'm in my mid-30s. Time marches on. There is a sobering reminder in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 6, and you don't need to turn to it, but Ecclesiastes 9, 6 says this of the dead. Forever they have no more share in what is done under the sun. Our ordinary activity will come to an end. There will come a time when you and I can't do mission. There will come a time when you and I can't be partners. There will come a time when we cannot share in what is done under the sun. But now you can in this age. And the I am is with us permanently until the end of the age or the end of our age. And there is a deadline to our age. I don't know if you get uh, some letter. I had a letter on my desk that sat there for two or three months. It was a letter that meant, that meant I had to go to the DMV. I, it sat there for months. But, but there, was a, there was a May 31st on it. I had to do something. I think I went May 29th, okay. Yeah. 
There's a deadline. We have a deadline. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We are to go in our ordinary going and mission to tell people about Jesus. And we have extraordinary authority to do that. And we have extraordinary assistance to do that. Promised and permanent. What else do we need? What's holding us back? Maybe focus. One story and then I'm done. I have a pastor friend back in Ireland, really in Ireland, because he's in the southern part. He's in Galway, and he's American. He's been there for, I think, 20, 30 years maybe. And uh, I used to visit him. I used to preach in Galway once a year I used to pre- as I represented this ministry all over Ireland. And uh, I used to visit with him, and then I was going to move over. And I said, brother, I need your help. I'm going to move over that way. You moved over my way. I said, well, what, you know, what is the greatest challenge that, that, that we will face as we make that move across the pond? You know, are there going to be cultural differences? Um, is there, uh, you know, uh, all that southern niceness? And I'm a Scots-Irish, you know, we call a spade a shovel. You know, we, 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 we don't just go half measure. We, we're, there's a bluntness to the northern Irish, in case you haven't noticed. But... Um, you know, am I going to have to deal with, with maybe flakiness and, and southern niceness and, 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 e- and even some words? You know, there are certain words that you would use, um, maybe even of certain parts of the body, which they're okay in your language, they're not okay in the UK. And actually, there are similarly words that we might use of various parts of the body that are okay back home, but not here. So, I'm bilingual almost, but I still get, uh, I, I get things wrong. But I was simply asking him, what is the, what, what's the greatest challenge? And before he answered, his wife answered, and often the wives have more wisdom, of course. But his wife answered, and she said one word, distraction. What's the greatest challenge for us coming over here to the U.S.? What is the greatest challenge to the U.S. evangelical scene? distractions. Jesus dealt with their doubts. Here's my hands. Maybe Jesus needs to deal with our distractions and enable us to focus on the ordinary, extraordinary mission. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the authority You give us that we go to speak in His name. Thank You for the assistance given that is both promised by the I Am Himself and is permanent. So help us to be undistracted and as we go to disciple, baptize, and teach these gospel ultimate realities to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In Jesus' name we pray.